0: Welcome to the first episode of the Most Serious Podcast. In this episode, we will be talking to a friend of mine, Sanjana, who studies in the Tel Aviv University at Israel. We will be talking about artificial intelligence, podcasting, and the future of tech. We will also discuss how COVID has impacted our lifestyles. Let's get into the episode now. So, Sanjana, this is the first episode for our podcast, and Amazing. first and foremost, I just want to welcome you. And I want to ask, how it's going? What are you up to these days?
1: So I've been doing good. Um, just very much busy with, I guess, podcasts and new semester starting. And just, but yeah, it's been good. How are you?
0: I'm also doing fine, I guess, because uh, I'm still at home, for starters. Because our college is still going online. We haven't been on campus. And, you know, just this is how I got the time and the idea to start this podcast, honestly. Because I was bored of just sitting idle at home. Yeah, I feel you. Sort of my
1: intention. At first, like, I, I want to start the podcast like, like, a year ago. I should have yeah. done it during COVID. Um, but I was intentionality going behind. But, yeah, it helped uh, kill boredom.
0: Yeah, I mean, also, it helps to kill boredom, and I think, um, for me, I find myself to be very fascinated by engaging conversations. I mean, if I connect with someone on a level, and, you know, the conversations that's keeps flowing, and you kind of keep on adding fascinating stuff or some good ideas, it's kind of like the best feeling as well.
1: The flow of the conversation, I guess, is the most important element of any communication, right? Because you want to have a synergy with this person that you're um, talking to. So that's something that you probably get sent from, let's say, episode to episode. You'll see how there's different energies involved with different guests. How different, like how you might have to switch from one subject to the other in in the span of like ten minutes. It's like a bunch of stuff you actually learn from podcasting is actually really helpful in your life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I totally believe you because I've I've been following, like I saw a couple of episodes from your podcast, and I kind of uh, thought about having you as the first guest, uh, mainly solely because of this reason. Cause I wanted to have someone like, uh, who has a bit of experience doing this stuff also because I <laughs> thought of if I bring up some of my, you know, a random friend or a colleague, so it would more of like, uh, a one ended conversation. Cause I would be trying to, you know, like, like get the conversation going and telling them about how the structure of this episode is going to work, asking them questions, but you being a fellow podcaster that helps me also. Because you know how the conversation goes and you have had guests on your show.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely, like, as you ascend from that episode to episode and you learn so much, you definitely get, like, a better grasp of podcasting. Like, I guess we're at, like, 25 or 26 episodes by now. And I feel like I'm super good at editing in the sense that I'm hyper fast at it. Like, I don't even, like, it's super... Fast for me now, like I don't have to put so much energy into it, and um, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff that you learn, like uh, communication wise, so certain f- phrases that might be helpful, um, to let's say you know, convert the uh, flow of conversation in another uh area or in another situation. So, I would like just by conversing, you learn so much, like, um, like you will notice that when you do like podcasting too often, like. It becomes addictive at one point, like you just want to exchange ideas and and uh, either either receive the information you're trying to receive from the guests that you've brought on or engage in this dialectic or dialogue and it, it becomes extremely addictive um at one point of just this amazing synergies just clashing. so I guess I don't know what do you think about Do you listen to a lot of podcasts?
0: i I can totally relate with you. Because, uh, matter of fact, I was listening to, uh, Joe Rogan's Demi Lovato episode that was released, I think, uh, this week or the last week, I honestly love, po- uh, listening to podcasts and, uh, I started this, I don't think they were very popular. Like at the time when I was in my 11th or 12th grade, I don't think most of, uh, the people in India, at least were listening to podcasts, but I found uh, certain speaker and um, like authors who did these audio versions or who just talked about life and who just shared their experiences. And I am very fascinated by it because I feel the information exchange that happens during a conversation. And that is that just, uh, that teaches you a lot more because you're, you're literally listening to a real world experience and you're not, you're not just, Cramming up some random information that you won't use for the rest of your life. It gets very relatable, also. So that's how I got into podcasting. I listened to Joe Rogan. I listened to, there's one very famous Indian podcaster now. He's doing really good. His name is Ranveer, and uh, he has some good content, also. You should check him out. So, yeah, that's the kind of stuff like uh, what inspires me to listen to podcasts. And also, uh, like you mentioned earlier that while podcasting you learned and you it became kind of like an addiction to you, having conversations and listening to people's ideas, listening to their thinking process. I also feel the same way because listening to someone you kind of get a look into how their thought process works, like how their brain processes stuff, how do they view this world and what's their idea of reality and all.
1: I mean, I guess one of the reasons, uh, I suppose, why I find uh, conversations like uh, conversations that happen on podcasts addictive, is probably because I'm generally a very, uh, I'm I'm the kind of a person who loves to be intellectually stimulated, Um, and and that's the high I like in life. So I I one could argue that I love having intellectually stimulating conversations. And so, if I'm having that in excess, is it good or is it bad? I guess it depends, right? If if you're receiving knowledge, okay, which is the the only reason why I guess the only intentionality that I wanted uh, to be there as a let's say a, a priori judgment towards my me starting this podcast, right? Um, so it was that I should receive and give out knowledge. That's the primary, basic, first principle towards starting the podcast. And so, yeah, in in a way, it's like, I I find it interesting how um, I love to, like, engage in multidisciplinary subjects. So it's not like I'm sticking to philosophy or psychology solely it's like i'm also discovering oh what is quantum mechanics what is happening with the cryptocurrency people what is going on with the investment bankers like it's 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 it becomes like i guess it correlates to the kind of personality you have and maybe that's why i professed it by saying that i generally like intellectually stimulating conversations so i guess the way i look at the cyberspace, which you know, w- which we are very much present in as of the moment, and and the reality, and how I seem to, you know, go about my day doing uh, virtual reality stuff and and the actual reality stuff. I guess I I try to uh, give both of these realms very much the same uh, preference at this point. Uh, I feel like the virtual uh, aspect has definitely taken over after COVID. Um, my life seems to be 50% in tune with reality and 50% in tune with virtual reality. So it's like 50%, you know, trees and sun and friends and stuff like that. And and 50% um, podcasts and uh, what's happening on Twitter, what's going on Clubhouse, like just like a bunch of stuff there. And so this would constitute, let's say, all of my, integrated reality right and so yeah i see i see most of the things in 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 terms of duality not to say that i am a dualist or anything i feel like i tend to just look at things from two different perspectives at all times so the way i see life at at, at the moment is how do i manage reality when well and how do i manage, manage this virtual reality which is very much part of my own identity at this point well
0: so yeah i think that was a very appropriate view of uh, i think that's true for kind of like uh, most of the people in our generation i won't i would say most of the people that i know of in our generation because uh, especially during the covid time there's been a massive shift to this uh, virtual reality stuff if you would call it not going by the literal meaning cause it kind of, most of the time we are engaging in content that is, that is through our screens or where, if you're listening audio, that is present on the internet and it has become like an, uh, what do you say it has become an inevitable part of our life. You won't, I think at this point, uh, you can't even try to comprehend a life without internet or without the virtual stuff or the cyberspace going around. Cause I also certainly feel that, uh, I wouldn't say that my interaction with the real world and the virtual world is 50, 50. I think it's still kind of 60, 40 ish right now. I'm more <laughs> invested in the real world. If you would like to call it 60%, I go out and play, I, talk to people. I like to meet people also, but uh, there's no, I don't feel key. There's a stereotype uh, that is generally associated with the virtual world that it's not, it's not contributing to you in a healthy manner or something. It's just how you discipline yourself or how you, how do you manage it? I think that's very important. What are you consuming? That's, that becomes the basis of uh, what would be the output of your Uh, you know, the time you spend online or stuff
1: like that. True, and especially now that we are sort of moving in this age of uh, artificial intelligence and crazy stuff with technology, like, one has to think about, oh, how are you going to spend time in, in two different dimensions of reality? And how are you going to make sense of what you're doing in these two dimensions in totality? And so, of course, like... It makes so much more uh, sense to blame COVID for, let's say, fifty percent or this massive increase in 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 uh, in terms of people switching from uh, real communication via shaking hands and talking and going to offices, getting things done in person. Uh, and now it's you know being done on Zoom and, and and on Facebook on Twitter like you know just wherever it's on virtual reality so one could blame COVID for that that for sure that this pandemic has definitely um, accelerated this movement towards uh, you know fast grasping AI of some sort and so it, it's often like a question and perhaps an ethical one always that oh is this uh, you know fifty percent use of um, me uh, being on, uh, let's say, virtual reality and 50%, me having some sort of a real communication in real life. Am I, like, is this the right, first of all, is this the right ratio for your mind and your body? Because, like, physiologically, you have to move. Like, we are moving in an AI direction when people like to think that, oh, but Nick Bostrom's uh, artificial superintelligence is going to be true in, let's say, the next 20, 30 years we'll have super intelligent agents within us, uh in in embodying robots or or just uh, general intelligence surpassing agents or whatever, and, and they'll be ruling the world and everything. And I'm just like, I don't know, like uh how how are we how are we going to look about that when we are already fifty percent already on the virtual reality in let's say twenty twenty one, you know, with uh the restrictions that have been imposed due to the pandemic.
0: that That is actually very interesting. And I also think about this a lot, like the predictions people are making for the next twenty, thirty years. And uh, I think the most uh, important or the most uh, critical thing that I observed or that I got to know from the books I've read or the people I've listened to is key the rate at which technology is advancing. I mean, Sometimes it's like he, technology is making strides forward, right? We're getting newer tech every day. We're making advancements. But at this point in this age, the rate is also advancing. The rate is also accelerating because it's like he, you see progress in 10 years and now that progress can somehow be like done in one or two, a couple of years, like, uh, we would have some tech and we would laugh about it three to four years later. If you think about I think when we were growing up, we were like introduced to smartphones at the age of 12 or 11, I guess, or 13, I don't know. But uh, now if you think think about that technology, even, the technology we had as kids for smartphones, it it seems obsolete because we had two megapixel cameras or People had, like, <laughs> they had storage spaces of 8 gigabytes. They had rams of, like, 2 gigabytes or something like that. I don't remember. But it it seems very obsolete, and it's not very going into, like, too much past. So the rate at which the tech is advancing is also accelerating. So that leaves us... That mostly makes our prediction pointless, because I think I heard uh, Elon say in an interview that someone asked him about what would be the future of tech looking like in the next 20 years or 30 years. He said that I can tell you one thing for sure, that the the assumptions we would make right now, they would all be very baseless and pointless because they would be achieved pretty soon than we think that they could be.
1: True, and I'm so happy in terms of like the, the timeline that we were born in, that we didn't really have like iPhone usage at three years of our you know existence, like which is something that's been happening now with the kids being born in these generations. Like um, it is so good that I actually had to go out every day to school, to parks, to meet people, to talk to people, to be energized. And television was probably the only other medium the only medium let's say in terms of virtual anything at that time that would be distracting or maybe some sort of a video games or something like that but you know like i personally did not try to access the internet that much like i guess i was six years old or something when i first hopped on uh to you know yahoo and google just to see what the hell was that um and when i was 10 that was the time when I was like, really, oh, this is interesting, and I think I was 11 when I joined Facebook. <laughs> so I was, I, I, hopped on to virtual reality quite like on time, you know. Like I, I wish I joined much later, but I guess it uh, gave me gives me much more perspective now that I look back on it, just like the way my experience, me being, a, you know, uh, of a certain age and trying to navigate through the cyberspace. It was very interesting the things i would do i would like play like these uh stick man games and like weird stuff like nothing serious or like school homework and you know anything to look up on wikipedia like there was youtube but there was like i i, I wasn't watching shane dawson or any of the stuff that was going on youtube like i think i joined youtube way later in my life so i'm happy in terms of the timeline that i guess you and i we, we both were born in
0: that that is actually very much on point. Also it kind of gives us, um, it gives us a taste of both lives, If you know what I mean, it's somehow cause we were born in a timeline that has radically shifted from a completely outdoor lifestyle because having fun meant you're going out to the park or you're going to a friend's house, or you're just talking with them or you're playing random board games and stuff like that. So, and if you look at all of that stuff now, it seems it seems boring. Naturally, you can't take, um, you can't sugarcoat it. You can't put it another way. No one would want to play a board game. <laughs> they would want to talk, some make small talk, or they would go in the park and play random games. If they have the option, if the kids have the option of uh, staying home, having their tablet in their hand. And, or just plugging in Xbox, playing some video games with the friends. So the life uh, that we experienced before all of the tech took over, I think that was very different. And it they would be like, you know, I think uh, that in the future, there would be like uh, some tales that we uh, <laughs> grandkids listen to. And they'll be like, oh, man, I, I don't believe you. This, this couldn't be possible. You're talking about an entirely different world it, th- that couldn't have existed. I mean, you can be serious when you're talking about this stuff. So the world has shifted so radically in the past, like, 10 years. It kind of will make it absurd. If we talk about a pre- <laughs> life experiences before 2011 or 10, people would be like, man, what the fuck are you talking about? And stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I totally relate to you. Also, I thought, uh, I mean... This obviously is a great conversation and we just hit it right off. Uh, We didn't need to ask each other questions or stuff like that. So I thought about some topics that I wanted to get your views on them. And I I think uh, we also are in touch through social media. So I know that you and I have certain common interests, like uh, I know you follow philosophy and you're into artificial intelligence consciousness, reality and all of that stuff. So I want I want you to explain to me or I want you to break it down to me. What's your view and how do you comprehend uh, artificial intelligence? Or what's your understanding of the real world? or How do you uh, understand reality or this world? Like, do you believe we are in a simulation? Or what are just your views on all of this reality theory?
1: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> are we in a simulation? That's a good question. Um, I haven't really given the simulation hypothesis that much uh, consideration ever. Like, it, it, it's such a it's such an argument. Like, why are we here? What are we doing? Where are we going? You know, what is happening? There's so many questions that you have to answer, and and you can apply these questions into philosophy psychology you know ai anything and it just makes all the all the sense in every different ways possible so um like i i seem to be i seem to be very fascinated with what's happening with or what should be happening with or what is probably going to happen with ai like it it seems like a really good um technical but at the same time, revolutionary, because, like, when you, when you think about it historically, like, it's like we're moving, we were, we were, like, from Stone Age to, then we went from that to, like, let's say, Industrial Revolution, right? And then what I can think of maybe print revolution, there's so many different things happen, and now we're just completely moving towards some sort of a transhumanistic, uh, you know, era possible. And, and especially with the Neuralink thing, right? Like, I, I tend to think about Neuralink a lot because I, I personally would love to explore how my mind would be symbiotic with the AI system and how this weird um, subjectivity within me is trying to, or would, you know, synergize with this objective AI mind. And then what results would that give to my memory, to my attention? To, to my everyday life, and and is that transhumanism phenomena itself, like that? That we're essentially cyborgs now in the next five years. That's a really good question. Um, and and then you know, and then of of course, you think about what Elon is doing with uh, the Mars mission, and then this Snura, and like just everything in terms of AI, and and um, and then people are having conversations about Nick Bostrom's uh, ASI, which is artificial superintelligence. Which is supposed to be, uh, you know, the destructive AI as portrayed by, let's say, the popular uh, culture movies and books and everything. Um, and so I like I seem to be very fascinated by the transhumanism or cyborg-like phenomena because I think that's very much going to happen for sure. If not in the next five years or four years, definitely next eight years. You know. Um, that seems like a very exciting thing to me. But when people start to talk about an ASI, I get kind of like uh, pissed off in the sense that like, we have such a narrow version of AI right now. People think that we have, oh my God, AI, AI. Like we don't have any, that good of an AI right now. We have a very narrow version of AI, if anything. Like the iPhone autocorrect is pathetic. Like this such shitty AI chatbots you can find online that doesn't even work. And and you tend to think about super intelligence. Like, that's a very far goal, if anything. Like, I think we, we're probably going to reach Mar- Mars first. Like, the Mars civilization shift is probably going to happen first. Then uh, us actually having some sort of a super intelligent agent who is going to, you know, be... Beat us in terms of intelligence, of course, because that's what that 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 is the definition of being a super intelligent agent, right? But also conquering us, and and we will be the quote unquote slaves according to the popular culture narrative. So that seems quite like hilarious to me. But I think in in terms of let's say AI, uh, Neuralink and the symbiosis of mind with artificial intelligence seems like a very likely possibility,
0: likelihood possibility to to me. <laughs> yeah, I certainly cracked up when you were talking about AI and how should AI we have right now. And I, I think that's, that's true to some extent because we're still in the, uh, I would like to call it, the initial stages of the discovery of AI because uh, right now we're not even truly aware of its capabilities to be uh, precise because we are kind of exploring it and I still see a couple of years going into the work and people getting aware of people really understanding uh, the meaning of AI because to most people it's just like they've made up uh, they've made up <laughs> their monsters in their head that AI is, uh, is a stereotype and it'll kill you all you'll become like monkeys to, to machines, stuff like that. But I think, yeah, I also believe we are pretty far away from that. And honestly, I find myself to be the odd one out when I talk to people about Neuralink and, um, and I discuss, and I, and I talk to, I talk about it with fascination because some people are like, uh, I don't want to mess with my head. I, I don't want a machine or I don't want a chip integrated with my brain. Cause, uh, cause it's going to be, I'm going to be controlled by the computer or I'm going to be controlled by the internet or stuff like that. I find myself to be very interested in knowing how it will integrate with our biology and would certainly like to experience it someday. Cause I think, um, I, I, I find myself to be open to new experiences because I think that uh, gives. Sense of meaning for life to me. I don't find going about the routine way and then, you know, just like as they were meant to be, or like people call it, this is the dream routine or this is the dream path you should follow, or this is the stuff you should do. So I am very open to that experience, but I don't think people are as open to it. I hope that's going to change. I hope people are not going to shy away from, or they're not going to build stereotypes around AI before completely understanding it. I hope they're going to widen their perspective on it.
1: True. I mean, for me, I think, you know, um, this transhumanism thing seems very inevitable in the sense that we're moving so fast towards um, technology, even though we have a narrow AI, but so the advancements have been pretty crazy so far and and this very conception of neuralink itself is quite you know impressive um, in that regard so i think uh, like when i think about transhumanism and why i say it is inevitable it's probably because like imagine we get to a stage where everyone has an access to this device that you can put in your brains or this sort of particular technological uh, piece that you can just put in one of the nerves of your brain you know like anything like that and and now you have a complete access to uh, this artificial mind with your original mind your qualia and and so how and and now that it is available what what does the distribution look like of such a device and like, and, and if people are getting access to it, like like how fast is it going to be that the entire civilization is going to become transhuman? Because like yes, there, definitely we can assume that there's going to be certain anarchist movements where people are going to be like, no, we can we can do the neural link thing and like it's it's playing with the brain chemistry. Maybe religion is probably going to do that. And uh, we're going to see another side of, science enthusiasts just uh plugging neuralink in their brain and fully transform into transhumanism. The question is what comes after transhumanism uh in, in terms of human subjectivity, right? Like what happens to the human subjectivity when increasingly uh the objectivity is being imposed on let's say the human physiology and tied up with human psychology. So it's like y- y- you are you know, putting this device in your brain, which will affect your physiology and your biology and your mental health to a certain extent, without a doubt, because we we start by the assumption that we know nothing about what's going to happen. So we're building, let's say, premises of this could happen or this could happen or a hypothesis. And, and then we decide, you know, how it's going to work out. So, of course, there's going to be trials and stuff for Neuralink, right? And so when it finally comes out, the the trials are going to happen again, but this time uh, in, in a very large scale of population and in a very, you know, like, exciting moment where the entire world goes from being, let's say, somewhat virtual to literally 50 percent physiologically virtual and uh, and 50 percent just to say that if like if some the, if this sort of symbiosis happens maybe maybe 50 percent we, we would still be using our own brains if not the artificial one and there's so many questions that you can ask about Neuralink, right because this is a device and it's supposed to come out like what's going to happen Like, I tend to think that transhumanism, even if Neuralink doesn't come out, something would come out in the next 10 years which would try to take this human subjectivity or this qualia, emotion or feeling sensation aspect of human life um, and, and try to mess with it, with the objectives of the life. And I find it highly interesting as to how human subjectivity is going to evolve or in the next few years.
0: Yeah, the stuff about Neuralink is pretty interesting. If you if you look about it from a uh, neutral point of view, I, I also find it very interesting. Uh, also, I think, do you know about uh, the guy Alex Friedman? He is uh, an MIT professor. I think he does research on uh, AI and I find his podcast also like uh, very engaging intellectually. I think uh, he also provides like the way the way he uh, talks about stuff and also i the thing I like about him is he doesn't complicate certain aspects of artificial intelligence because uh, if you see a person from the field of uh, AI, most probably if you spend an hour with him, you would kind of find yourself, I think, more confused uh, than ever because you would find that most of the concepts that you thought that you understood were now seem like out of your reach. But I like Lex's approach to AI and the way he discusses things. Uh, I'm sure you are also aware about him.
1: Yeah, I'm aware of Lex Friedman um, heavily. I've been consuming his content for probably. I think since two thousand eighteen, more or less, like um, since I probably started watching Joe Rogan, like about the same time I got into a bunch of podcasts, and his was one of the main ones that I watch even now. Um, it, yes, and and I love the way he um, essentially structures the way he does his podcast. Like he has a line of questioning and and like a very formal, but at the same time, like if you see the episode with Tim Dillon, it's like informal and like formal like he has a very um <clears throat> i would say good vibe of just maintaining the flow of dialogue and and he just like has like this uh, like i don't know i'm just extremely fascinated by the way he conducts his podcast like it's like a discipline you know like i, I like the way he's able to actively listen but also contribute and then also follow up with a question it's uh, it's amazing like for me, uh, he's like his podcast seems to be the most structured one out of everyone, you know. Um, but on the other hand, when we when we you know see Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan is this fun guy, comedian guy. Everyone knows that. And because he's like this comedian guy, he has this amazing excuse of prefacing, "Hey, I don't know anything. I'm a comedian," and then he can bring on you know, Roger Penrose or Eric Weinstein or just anyone and have like a mindfuck of a conversation and still be able to, you know, you know, like still be able to process everything after the end of three hours of recording, you know, that that kind of like not being able to grasp much of the what the content uh, is being delivered to you, but at the same time, being able to contribute to the conversation and being able to follow up with questions uh, not knowing most of the things is an art you know so in that way i really appreciate joe rogan in the sense that he starts with this first quote-unquote principle that we know nothing that we assume that we know nothing and we just build our knowledge upon it and so even if we know something which is a priori here you know it's, it's it just manifests itself with the flow of the conversation.
0: I think yeah, with Joe Rogan, it's like uh, whenever you're listening to his podcast, because uh, the base principle, as you mentioned, like he starts with we know nothing. So what that does is it puts the audience also in a very comfortable position to interact with uh, the guest or you know interact with how they interpret the meaning of that uh, conversation. And Joe is like he has such a fun vibe, and you never see. Him uh that uh this podcast is getting too serious or it gets it's getting out of reach because uh if at some point you feel that the conversation is drifting away from you the concepts are too difficult for you to comprehend the joe is always the guy who will will just crack a joke in between he'll just he'll just put out a very lame statement and, <laughs> and that kind of uh, puts the conversation back on track and I I I found that uh, today when I was watching the Demi Lovato episode on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, what was really interesting is I I noticed this in most of his podcasts that he starts with a very with a very random observation or with a very random statement, and then he builds upon it, and that just kind of connects. It's like uh, it's like a tree going into many of its branches. You know, it's it seems very natural, and you find yourself. 40 minutes in, 50 minutes in into the podcast, and then you realize you, you've been you've been listening to it all along. And his, especially his three episodes with Elon Musk, I mean, they're enjoyable as hell because it's it's intellectually, uh, what do you say, stimulating. And at the same time, he's talking to the world's richest guy, and and he's making it sound very, he's making it sound very uh, like easy for the for anyone who's listening to it. It doesn't sound like he's talking to some crazy tech billionaire who just builds rockets who sends people on Mars. Because Joe Joe does that thing for his audience. He he puts them always like on the same platform.
1: Yeah, I think it's like the uh, being like a podcast uh, guest. How do you offer your peace of mind? and your line of questioning to the guest or whoever you're talking to right so i think that has to be very structured like i found myself to like i i listen to so i would start my podcast with yeah you know welcome to the podcast and like this is episode this and like you know this person is this and like how are you doing and so that kind of like it becomes like this Monologue or whatever. And then after that, you know, the conversation just has to flow. So you have to actively listen and synthesize the knowledge which was already being delivered within what the guest has said. Comment on it real quick and then, you know, build something upon it which is interesting and convert that interesting, uh, you know, like mixture into the line of questioning that you're going to ask. So it's like a three part structure right like you're commenting on what the guest has already said you you are taking something from that comment and adding some sort of value to that element of that comment and then you're also following up with another question which seems some somewhat relevant to what he had already said what you had offered and what he could be offering so it's like a you know it's like an art in that way that how you, how are you going to structure what are you going to be delivering in this you know podcast in terms of either your opinions or what you have learned you know quote unquote objective knowledge or or you know anything in general. So I find like you know the one has to know this this particular area um, of podcasting really well. Um, I don't know like what approach do you take towards that?
0: The intention through this podcast would be, probably to structure my conversations better because uh, sometimes i find uh, myself or the person i'm talking to uh, the conversation really flows like uh, you're talking about stuff and you don't really have a structure or something but uh, uh, there's another uh, there's one guy i also follow jordan peterson and i and i really respect his his uh, structuring of his statements even mere sentences that he speaks they're well structured and they're very well delivered he takes a second he pauses he'll he'll not he'll not say something unless he totally absorbs it and he totally wants to deliver it so i think uh from certain people like uh, joe or lex or even mr peterson for that matter i really want to learn this art of structuring uh your talks you know so that becomes a very, cause it's, it's a very efficient way to con, uh, converse. Cause you're actually enjoying the conversation. Also you're, you're putting your thoughts and you're putting your ideas in a, in a structured manner or in a manner that the other person can comprehend easily. And it makes sense also because you're not here and there all the time. So that's definitely one intention that I seek to better from, the, from starting this podcast, I guess
1: on like podcasting uh in general or um talking on this app called clubhouse uh very good for my social anxiety and conversational skills because like i would often like really um find it like get into a really hard time trying to um get my ideas into um let's say verbal uh, dialogue right and so podcast kind of helps you with it because you at first when you do podcasting it seems out of place everything's like get, getting out of place but when you give it time and when you do it a lot then you get into it and then you realize that it's it's uh, it's interesting and you're you actually let go of so many um uh, stigma or let's say whatever you were holding on to before That was kind of eliminating you to be your authentic self at first so this anxiety component you know tends to go away and like i i used to struggle with a lot of social anxiety and still do to a certain very mild level now but it was a major you know social anxiety disorder and i i struggled with it a lot but due to like podcasting and and now also like making the podcast or video podcast so essentially now it's also on youtube so you, you know that kind of gets away all of my social anxiety you know it's getting rid of everything so it's it's being as real as possible i mean that's at least the intention behind the podcast now is to you know in, indulge in as many authentic dialogues quote unquote as possible so uh like I found podcasting very good for anxiety, but also for conversational skills that, that I was explaining before that. You, you learn different phrases, you know how to connect different words, different thoughts, different ideas. You can also be uh, like, you know, into abstract ideas and abstraction and able to creatively build upon different terminologies and, and go from one idea to the other, you know, and meanwhile also jumping from one science to the other. So it can get interesting in that way. The thing I like about Jordan Peterson is that his uh, sort of Jungian um, approach towards, uh, let's say, psychology in general. Like, uh, I, you know, Jungian psychology usually gets um, shaded on, let's say, uh, because uh, of the approach it then tends to take this collective approach as opposed to this very individualistic, uh, Freudian focused uh, approach towards psychology. like jordan peterson just by you know let's say being a young uh fanatic it it seems to have like this amazing uh authentic uh sort of aura about him where he he can deliver what, what he has in mind which is or which are essentially his ideas along with the knowledge that he possesses you know but in terms of a very interesting uh highly captivating uh set of skills you know that, that he's utilizing while delivering his um lectures like why why do we you know start a jordan peterson podcast or jordan peterson lecture and sit through it all the way three hours you know it's because of this element of you know immersion that he just embodies so well like he's just such a good lecture guy like i have exhausted like exhausted literally all of his lectures on his YouTube at this point. I remember, I think I got into it like not that long ago, probably um, seven to eight months ago now. And uh, just out of curiosity, like I knew of the man, but I never really dived into his work. And I remember just one day clicking on one of his young uh, lectures, I think from his 2015 personality course classes or something like that. And uh, as soon as I clicked on it, and i had no intention of watching all the three hours but boom you know like it happened and next thing i know i'm watching jordan Peterson for the entire two weeks and now i have exhausted like so much it's because of this immersion aspect that he embodies so well like he's able to deliver whatever he knows and whatever he thinks just extremely well and and maybe that's where the controversy lies you know when people try to be controversial Uh, towards, uh, you know, with the reputation that Jordan Peterson holds, like, I think, I think whatever the man's political uh, inclinations are should always be separated by what the man actually symbolizes, you know, like, if he is a psychologist, and if he presents this level of public intellectualism, where he wants to deliver his ideas and knowledge, then I think he's doing it completely fine. And that should not be conflated with his um, political inclinations. Or, you know, even whatever he says about politics, I guess, is always taken out of context. Like I think people call him Nazi and like whatnot, and I'm like, why? Like it doesn't make any sense. Because, you know, like I think he has that sort of uh, art, uh that either compels people to come towards them or repulses, you know, people to go right out.
0: That that is that is very much the understanding of Jordan Peterson. Like he's totally, uh, this guy who, who won't shy away from his opinion. And he won't, and he would particularly structure it. And he would deliver it in such a manner that if you have to debate against it, you have to come up with a very solid argument because whenever he delivers something or whenever he says something, he has put so much thought into it. And It is usually so well rounded off with all his intelligence and the the idea that he supports that uh, that the other person who is trying to argue or debate against it cannot cannot uh, even try to like not (laughs) I mean not agree with him that's just how I feel about him because he just delivers them with such such power (laughs) I guess also there's one very interesting I think you might know about him I'm reading his book currently. Uh, David Goggins, are you aware about him? uh
1: uh-huh, yeah, I, I am David Goggins, the madman of fitness, right? <laughs> that,
0: that guy, that guy is just, I mean, what do I say about him? Uh, he's, he's, he's so motivating or he's just like such a badass, he's so hard <laughs> always, I, it kind of cracks me up. Uh, I was watching his video the other day, <laughs> I'll send you the link. Uh, what he does, what he does in that video is he was he was telling people, uh, what are you going to do about your life or why are you being such a crybaby about it? He tells people like uh, he was go- about to go on a run. So he was uh, just wearing a half sleeves T-shirt and he said it's kind of like freezing out there and I'm just wearing a half sleeves T-shirt. So what do you expect me to do about it? I'm going to get over it. And I'm just going to go run. <laughs> so. I mean that kind of approach that he has, it sometimes makes me laugh so hard, but at the end of the day, you've got to respect guy. he has, he has expanded the physical capabilities of a human being and I, and I just respect him too much for it. I'm I'm reading his book currently, I, I, I'm sure you might have known about it or read it.
1: I mean, what I know of David Goggins is more or less from Lex through Joe Rogan, you know, like something like that. Cause I remember, uh, you know, listening to I guess one of either Lex's podcast or Joe's podcast, where where they were discussing David Goggins, and then I did open his Instagram for a second, and I was like, yeah, that that guy is crazy, <laughs> you know, like, cause it's it's also like the the amount of energy he he ter- tends to ex- execute, but also the motivation he uh, tags along with it, like. Like, the crazy stuff that you were also saying about, like, like, yeah, like, oh, I get the, the motivation and the energy and the fitness, but to what extent is this, you know, like, um, over, uh, let's say, stimulation or over physical exercise going to be useful towards your body? Like, like, there has to be a certain extent or a certain level of, you know, that you just you, you just have to do this much to be okay in life. You know, or you just have to be uh, this person of motivational to be, you know, able to navigate through life. And what David Goggins seems to do is like, oh, no, you have to just be working 24 seven. And that's all the motivation you need is to work and work and work. And, and I keep questioning whether that is healthy or not, you know. And and I think Lex also seems to be questioning that because Lex seems to follow the same uh physical health exercises as he does i think he had like few videos on it as well um and yeah it's just generally very interesting to see a figure like david goggins um like do all this crazy stuff and but also be able to you know like not make people laugh but also motivate them in a weird way possible to actually you know cross the limits and and get their bodies or life goals or just you know straighten out their lives uh in a, in a good way and so I don't know if if uh, David Goggin's like crazy approaches are one hundred percent healthy or not I mean they of course seem to work because pressure you know seems to be this amazing key uh, towards unlocking success sometimes because of you know the the over uh, stimulation uh, that comes along with it. but I don't know whether that approach to
0: life in general is uh, healthy or not. Yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. See, well, how I view Goggins is, uh, I believe certain people have, like they've told the world about the capabilities of the mind or through meditation, they've experienced the limitless nature of our mind, of our consciousness. I, I view it as uh, Goggins. Has done the same thing just with the physical capabilities. He he has proven or he has just uh, made everyone believe that this is possible with the body as well. You can you can over exceed your physical capabilities and stuff like that. But Goggins is uh, is just is uh, <laughs> just some how do you say you can't you can't put him into words. He he's more than words and he he's just a crazy person. But Yeah, mad respect to him and for him for the work he has done in his life and the way he motivates people. But uh, yeah, I I follow that guy and uh, I suggest that you should read his book also. Uh, It has been great so far. But um, yeah, the same thing, I think uh, I was discussing this Gawgain story with my mom and she also gave me the same answer. She was like, but is this really healthy? Is Is this required for each individual to Hustle every time, and you know, be on, be on work, and stay hard is his motto. He says, "Stay hard at, <laughs> at the end of every video," which uh, which becomes kind of very funny, and is he ends up on certain meme pages. Cause you might understand like how people would take that out of context, but yeah, he is a very interesting guy. I think you should follow him <laughs> more. You would find a certain sense of uh, a different viewpoint for the world if you look through the eye of Goggins.
1: Yeah, I mean, personally, I had no idea that he had a book and everything. Like, I just thought that he was a fitness guy and motivation guy on Instagram or something like that. But no, I'll check in, I'll check out his um, stuff uh, that he has produced. I mean, he seems to be a very interesting folk um a guy you know like just to even even hear from from a second perspective uh but yeah i think i think i would love to exhaust his books
0: yes i mean you should do that also i know that you are a football fan and we've been talking about all the stuff and we have to discuss football i was thinking about uh, thinking before this podcast that I have to talk to Sanjana about football. So Aguero is leaving City. Champions League resumes this week. What are all your predictions? How are you feeling about your team doing so far? How much do you follow football uh, and like what's going on with your take on the matches and all of the stuff that's happening? So I've
1: not been following um like our manchester united that much recently but i'm kind of happy with the performance more or less like like i keep in touch with what's happening on on twitter through uh you know the the stats and everything that they keep updating um like one of the major reasons and which is like so hilarious and so like weird of me uh, to stop kind of like watching Manchester United matches was that like whenever I would watch a uh, Manchester United match, the score would either be two zero, two one, or zero zero. Like literally any of these three, and this happened more or less you know for years, <laughs> you know uh, because uh, we we would keep getting these managers. And they would keep, you know, keep delivering good matches for, let's say, the first two or three matches they do with the team. And then it goes back to the same thing. And then we kick out the manager, we get a new manager. Like, it's been happening, you know. And so that made me just, like, want to stop the matches.
0: With this, we wrap our first episode up. I hope you liked it. And we will meet you with another great conversation in the next episode. Cheers.